I am 100% convinced that our some of our best days have not even happened yet. Mm, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And yes, we've had wonderful days behind us, but isn't it a wonderful thought to think that some of our best days haven't even happened yet and they're yeah. ahead of us and we have that to look forward to? Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. <laughs> you ready? Yes. We're doing this. Yes, we are. I love you. I love you too. This is my first time to get to interview you. I just got nervous in my stomach when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy Edwards, the producer of this show, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You look beautiful. Thank you. I got to see you naked in the shower today. Oh my gosh. Oh, should I not start off with that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were going to start off with that. I thought, oh, we're you're in for uh, the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get us comfortable doing this because this is my first time being able to interview you. Uh-huh. But we met, not we met, we met in Sedona, but how we kind of started to, how I got to ask you out the first time mm -hmm. was you interviewing me. That's right. And then we've had numerous conversations on my show yeah, and on this show and when I've show. asked you Q&As from your listeners and yep. things like that. Yep. And you're the producer of the show. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm really excited about this podcast because one, I know how special and incredible of a human being you are. You inspire me every day, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I just love having you in my life, and I'm excited to share your story. Thanks. And ask you questions. Okay. And let the listeners get to know you more. And on your show, The Amy Edwards Show, yes, you had a pretty special episode recently. I did. Was I that... had my 100th episode Yep, and it came right at the time that I turned 50. So I shared 50 things that I've learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for the listeners that at least get to watch this on Spotify or YouTube, they'll probably be looking at you and thinking, there's no way she's 50. <laughs> well, I'll always take that comment. <laughs> good. Good. But it's it's so true. I mean, people will guess that you're younger than me. Um, people will be inspired that you say you're 50. They're like, what? How do I look like you when I'm your age? And it's pretty awesome. What do you think is a secret to staying young? I think I like that I hit 50 yeah. because... It just has this impact and this power, like 50. You know, you're, you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> you're 50. There's no question about that. And so I've been embracing it, and it feels good. And when people say, wow, I like that, it feels like, yes, you know what? I have learned some things. And it, it helps you. Just that number can be something that helps you step into 
a more full version of yourself, I think. Yeah. And so that's what I feel like I'm doing. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the next chapter of my life. And I'm excited to keep this youthfulness and this attitude about life that I have worked really hard to foster. So to answer your question, how do I do that? And I guess to broaden the question, okay. it's, it's, yes, people say that about your physical appearance, you're beautiful and you look young, younger. And, but I also mean like, I think it's your, your spirit. I think it's your attitude. I think it's the way you communicate. I think it's the way you use your voice because there's people that I personally know in my family that are say 58, 59. And honestly, uh, because of their health, because of their habits, because of the way they live their life. And I also think because of their attitude towards life, mm -hmm. they literally get around like an 80, 90, a hundred year old person. And I don't think there's, I love them, but I don't think there's longevity there where maybe they're on walkers or in wheelchairs or had all these surgeries and been on all these prescription medications. And, you know, I love them and I want the best for them, but it's kind of like, I think it starts in the mind mm -hmm. and I think it starts with the way you live your life. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll go to yoga with you and there'll be 20 and twenties and thirties year old women or men. And you're not just hanging with them. You're, you're, you're a lot of times I see you lapping them, especially whenever we started, I was just like, wow, it was really impressive. Thanks. And I'm so close to you that sometimes I have to zoom out and be like, oh yeah, she's 49. She's 50. This is crazy. Mm, thanks. And, or 48. I've been doing yoga dating. for a long time. Right. You know, I started that in college when I was about 19 or 20. I took it as a class in college on a whim because where I grew up in Colleen, Texas, there was no yoga studio. I'm sure there is now, but there was not back then in the 80s. And, and I wasn't encouraged by my parents to have, I, I didn't grow up a hippie or anything like that. I, I wasn't ever really encouraged to have a growth mindset. In fact, back then, nobody even used that term. In the 90s, I started listening to Tony Robbins and on cassette. And that opened my eyes to a growth mindset and what that might be. And I don't even think he was calling, he was calling it personal power back then. And I just liked this idea of always getting better. Mm. And I think that that holds forth now yeah. as I'm turning 50. I am 100% convinced that our some of our best days have not even happened yet. Mm. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And yes, we've had wonderful days behind us. But isn't it a wonderful thought to think that some of our best days haven't even happened yet and they're yeah. ahead of us and we have that to look forward to? And one of the things when I was just saying that about Tony Robbins, one of the things that he said that has always stayed with me in his tapes back then was he was just enthusiastic about life. Yeah. And he was talking about people. He was talking about, I guess, I think he was addressing the way he had been treated in different ways and maybe bullied or whatever. And he said he wasn't getting back from people what he was putting out. And he just expressed how much he loves people. And he was mm. like, I love people. I love learning from people and all that. And I can still hear him saying, I love people. And I thought, yeah, you know, I do too. And sometimes it just takes hearing those little things to, to 
push us in the right direction. And I thought, I love people. I love learning. And I have always, I think, had some sort of enthusiasm Mm. within me that I just get excited about things. And I think it kind of makes people laugh sometimes because no matter (laughs) even the smallest thing, I'll get excited about. And I remember sometimes people just can give me the smallest gift or something, which is kind of my love language, like thoughtfulness and gifts. And I just get... I just get excited and people will laugh and it goes across the board. I get excited about people. I get excited about small things, big things, things that seem normal or mundane. And I think that that can come across as a youthful, radiant quality, just like there's a childlikeness Mm -hmm. to it, which I don't do it consciously to do that. I just like excited maybe it's because my memory kind of sucks I, 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 I think it's also because like you, you allow yourself to be excited about stuff without fear of how you're going to be perceived or interpreted yeah. because there's times that we're at the house or that we're out and something will happen um and you'll be like "Ooh, look at this or, or get excited about something like it might be on the news something's coming to town mm-hmm. and you get really excited if, if you are going to go or not going to go and you're just like it's really cool and yeah you do um, that too. You do that too. You get very excited and you're willing to share it, which I love that about you. Yeah. And there's an element of looking cool to it, you know, because like you might not look cool if you get excited and you can project what other people are thinking about you or whatever. But I I enjoy being excited about things. Yeah. <laughs> it so feels how, good. It's it fun. Does. So being excited about life. Mm-hmm. And being excited to be a lifelong learner, having mm-hmm. a growth mindset. A lot of that goes back to even martial arts. Um, when you said that about Tony and you, I started thinking about martial artists and being a lifelong student. And yeah. thinking that once you go from white to blue to purple to brown to black belt, oftentimes the black belts will say, once I got my black belt, I realized it was time to learn. Mm-hmm. It was time to teach, but it was time to learn. Like uh, there's so much more to learn. And... Yeah, I agree with that. There is so much more to learn. And sometimes that excitement can get murky with fear and Mm. nerves and anxiety, and it can hold you back a little bit when it's crossed that line into fear. And I've definitely been there too. I still am there a lot of times. Just before this podcast, I was a little nervous, you Mm. know, rather than just being like, yeah, I'm excited. I was instead crossing over into that fear. And that's been a huge theme throughout my life is getting past that fear Hmm. and into more of a excitement or learning mode rather than letting that fear and doubt dictate my path. Well, so then how would we break that down or discuss it if you were a little nervous before this or if fear or doubt has ever held you back? How do you overcome fear? How do you overcome doubt? Is it through excitement? No, it- I don't think it is. I think I don't I don't think it's through excitement. Okay. But I was just reading something about that the other day about really converting it into enthusiasm and then excitement. Mm. And I liked that a lot. And I thought that sounds like a cool process, but I don't think mine has been like that. I think mine has been a very much do it anyway mm. and take my fears and understand that they're indicators that are pushing me out of my comfort zone and expanding that zone into something that will be comfortable down the road. Songwriting was a big one for me because I Mm. took up music in my late 30s, learned guitar, and became an independent rock and roll artist around the age of 40. And I released my first album at age 40, I believe, and 
did it into my first mm, over half of my 40s and released five or six five albums. albums yeah. yeah, five or six. And um, that was insanely challenging for me. And luckily I'm here in Austin, so it was a welcoming environment for that kind of thing. You would think maybe people wouldn't be that way because they're you're starting late. Because you're starting late or because maybe there's so many people, uh, people might turn up their noses at it or something, but they're not. People here are very, very welcoming to it, which I was thrilled to find out. But it still was a very scary time to find my voice, to get on stage, to play guitar when I'm not, I'm not that good, you know, but so what? And, you know, like we wouldn't care if a 15 year old wasn't very good, but when you're 40, you get in your mind, I have to be good. And you have to work past that and just say, no, this is exhilarating. That was the other word they used. I think it was the in, in, um, enthusiasm, excitement, and then exhilaration. And yeah. so it is exhilarating once you can actually get past the fear and allow yourself to do it. Yeah. Well, once you get past almost stage fright to go play in front of people and you get that rush, that endorphin rush mm -hmm. from being on stage and people rocking out to your music, there's an mm -hmm. exhilaration that comes from seeing other people get excited about what you're passionate about because you're really taking a leap of faith there. Yeah, you are. You're putting yourself out on a limb. Mm -hmm. You're choosing to be seen. And, I, and you are with your songwriting too. Right. Anytime that you're putting out a creative endeavor, whatever that may be, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's your art, maybe it's writing a post on Instagram. Anytime you're putting something in your voice honestly out there, it can be nerve wracking and it can bring up some fears and doubts. And songwriting for me was a huge part of not only me finding my voice and getting really honest about it, but overcoming these fear and mm. doubt little monsters in your head. Yeah. And so I have a little cheat sheet beside me, but we've already okay. kind of covered. There's always more to learn and it's never too late. Those are from my um, list of 50 things. Yeah. That you did yes. on your podcast, yes. 50 things you've learned by 50 for your hundredth episode. Mm -hmm. So it's never too late has been a big one for me. And I think <clears throat> I took that up when I started doing music because yep. I was already a mother of two and didn't know what I was doing, but I did it anyway. And I just thought this is, a true example of picking something up at any age and going for it and not worrying about what anybody else says yeah. because it's breaking out of a mold that people have already got you in right. and you, you have to be able to embrace that <laughs> and not let other people's expectations dictate how you're going to be. This podcast is brought to you by onit.com. Onnit.com slash overcome. Use the code overcome to save yourself 10% on. I'm holding in my hands the Alpha Brain Focus shot. It's in this cool container. Amy's got the website pulled up I for do. you guys watching on YouTube. Did you drink your focus shot this morning? Absolutely. I, th I, I thought you did. I did too. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh my God. I feel so good. I always feel it's early right now energy. on a Monday. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. This is. This is one of the earliest podcasts we've done. Well, this is early for you. Early for you. <laughs> well, to, to go on the show, yeah, for sure. And it promotes focus and energy, supports a positive mood state, helps manage mental stress. And for me, I truly feel like it helps me get in the flow state faster, stay there longer. Whether I'm going into sparring, I had one before I went to sparring yesterday, and I had a four and a half hour training session because they were stacked. So I went from... 12 to 1 30 and then straight over to the gym 
from 2 to 4.30, 4.40. Came home tired last night, mm-hmm. but I was focused the entire time. I feel like it's very reliable about yeah. how I'm going to feel. The more I've used it, the more, doing this show, really, the more I'm able to know that when I drink it, I'm going to be on point. My brain's going to be functioning really well. I feel generally good. And that's been so nice to be able to know that it is not going to suddenly make me jittery or suddenly make me feel nauseous or whatever it is. Yeah, well, that that for me is important because some of the products with caffeine, which just has some caffeine, but it's like plant-based and it's healthy and it's a low dose. It's not jittery bad. It's not jittery (laughs) at all. And sometimes I'll have, you know, one of those energy drinks or something and then I'm over-caffeinated, over-stimulated, and then I feel like I can't think as good. That's not good. Because it's it's bothering me. Yeah. And all the Alpha Brain line is super reliable. The capsules, my favorites, the one of my favorites are the Instant, then the Black Label, and my all-time favorite is what we're talking about now. The Alpha Brain Focus Shots, they're incredibly good tasting. The tropical flavor, they also have peach, I believe. But mine's the tropical because it's passion fruit. And that's it delivers consistently. Fruit. And sometimes I'll take one and I'll split it between two smoothies when I make it for us in the morning. I'll just throw a little bit in each mm-hmm. and just, just add a little something to like our protein powder and the fruit and whatever else we've got in there. Yeah, and thank you so much on it for supporting me. My comeback to fighting. Uh, fight for the forgotten and this podcast they make it possible so please support our sponsors who honestly i think have the best supplement line in the world and yeah. our favorite products alpha brain or total human get the best in one packet uh a morning support and a night support thank you thank you thank you for being here with overcome with justin wren and on it.com be sure to use overcome. that code mm-hmm. use the code overcome yep. save yourself some money Yeah, and I I really appreciate about you, something about you that you're willing to change, pivot, go after your goals and dreams. And I could have started with a little bio into you and we'll we'll put it in the show notes. But I mean, I love celebrating you uh, anytime we're out with people and being uh, who I hope to be is one of your greatest cheerleaders. You are. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you. But for people that don't know, you've wrote two books. Mm-hmm. Um, when you did that, you were in your 40s I as was. well, right? Mm-hmm. So releasing five albums in your 40s, mm-hmm. whenever you started picking up the guitar at 38, 39? Yep. And then wrote two books. Mm-hmm. You have you started in radio. Um, I've done radio off and on for 30 years plus. Right. Mm-hmm. And which which was it was this exact same thing as these other things where you're using your voice or putting mm. something out there, amplifying it, and it's scary. I mean, my f- if we had a recording of my first times on the radio, how embarrassing would that be? <laughs> I might have a few of them actually, but okay. of air check like tapes somewhere. Those. But oh. they were not good, and I didn't know what I was doing. But you have to just start somewhere and just dive so in. Just start. Just start. Just start. But then you've done a lot from you've gotten into acting, you do voice work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll wake up and you say you weren't that good when you started. But whenever I first moved in and I'm waking up, you're doing the Austin news or weather or tech reports and you're just <laughs> crushing it or you're reading ads for these other companies. Um, and it's really inspiring that you can just say, oh, I'm going to do that. And then you go for it. Thanks. Yeah. I... People tell me that, and that makes me feel good. 
I guess when you're living it, you can know the process a little bit more in- intimately. And I know what it takes in my own mind to push through and do those things. Right. And I've never been the person that knew my purpose exactly like I know what I'm supposed to be doing in this life. Like I still am not quite sure. I'm more sure now than ever, but it's taken me a long time. And so if someone's listening and feels a little at sea or doesn't know their purpose or doesn't know how things fit together, it's okay. That's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just keep going and doing and trying what interests you. And one of these days, it's going to start to make a little bit more sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so what if what if someone is thinking that they've been trapped or just feel stuck mm-hmm. or they're at the edge of the cliff looking down and see that they need to take a leap of faith and bet on themselves but they've been they've been de- having self-doubt they've been having fear um, they're having a tough time overcoming that to believe they can pick up whatever metaphorical guitar there is for them to to learn and go do um, I think if they really is that the Did you finish the question? I think one of the things I've done is really entertain the thought of what if I don't do this? Mm. And think of maybe years and years down the road or you're on your deathbed and you think to yourself, what if I don't do this? Mm. What if I don't go for it? And if you feel like, if you can really put yourself there, I think that's part of the trick too. Like really imagine it. And if you can really get there and think that you didn't do X, start the band or whatever it is, or put out your book of poetry. I don't know. If you can really think that you're okay with that, then okay. Maybe it's not calling to your heart. But if there's a even a twinge of like, oh, then you should do it because that means that the pain of not doing it is much greater than the pain of doing it. So mm-hmm. just keep that in mind is what I would say. Keep that in mind. And I knew when I was doing those albums that if I didn't do it, I was going to regret that. And so I just thought, okay, I'm just going to get honest and I'm just going to do it because the pain of not doing it is much more than the pain of doing it. Do you remember any specific times that you did that? Do you, or do you have a suggestion for someone when you say, imagine it or go there? Are you talking about visualization? Are you talking about meditation? Are you talking about just having that thought? Were you talking about really diving into it and because you said really put yourself there? Yeah, I think it's more than visualization for me. And sometimes I will close my eyes and really try to deeply feel what that feels like to be at the end of your life or to be older or just at some juncture where you have had time pass. And if you can really just... Put yourself in that situation just for a minute and and really vividly imagine it. Because so many times I think we won't allow ourselves to vividly imagine something. Like mm-hmm. if we were vividly putting ourselves into what we see in Congo with the pygmies yep. or school shootings or mm-hmm. whatever it is, if you can take a minute to really Imagine it because so many times we're just living our busy lives and we won't take the time to really imagine what that's like. And it can open your heart up. So yeah. you, we can do it for ourselves, I believe. And 
really put ourselves in these positions and it puts things in perspective. Things seem a lot less big (laughs) when we are able to do that. It seems like, oh, okay, I could do that, you know? And then I'll look back on my life and feel like, wow, I did that. Yeah. So you're saying doing it on both, both ways, feeling it if you don't do it Mm -hmm. and then feeling it if you do do it. And I think, I don't know that I've ever talked about premeditatio malorum uh, or malorum on the show. Uh, I'm going to get a tattoo on my bicep or shoulder, the outside of my arm. And it's going to be basically the scene of a potential shipwreck. And it's going to be a ship with tattered sails, like an old ship that's crossing the sea. And basically, premeditatio malorum, which I'm probably saying wrong, is it basically means may all the terms of your human lot be before your eyes. Whoa. Yeah, which means shipwreck, exile, war, famine, natural disaster, grief, loss of a loved one, all these things. Let it be before your eyes. And then what will you do in those moments? And so I really liked that because at the Olympic Training Center, we had sports psychologists kind of at the beginning of like a, a big boom in sports psychology. But some of them would take us through visualization drills mm-hmm. and it would be feel the thrill of the perfect match. It, it was your perfect highlight and everything went well. And we do that. And I, I liked that. You know, I liked the perfect sure, match. Yeah. It, it, it felt great. But now having had a bunch of professional fights under my career, I'm like, man, the ones that I truly remember, yes, the highlight reels are the ones that are going to be shown the most, but some of my most memorable fights are the ones that I had to dig deep or something happened before where I was in the emergency room the night before the fight, Yeah, uh, but still went in there and won. And so no one else knows the big challenge, but that one I remember because I, I had to like go deeper inside of myself and pull something out Mm -hmm. of me that maybe I didn't know was there or or I was testing it. Is it there? Can I still do this? Can I win? So the Olympic gold medalists would come through and they would basically take us through like the worst case scenario. And you would have to battle back from getting down or almost getting pinned and, you know, being on the brink of defeat. Mm -hmm. And then something had to rise up and overcome. And then you end up winning the match. You put yourself there, put yourself there, put yourself there. And so I think that's kind of what you're saying in those moments of shipwreck. It's like a different version of the same thing. Yeah. You know, and like another version of it might be thinking of someone who's either died or thinking Mm. of someone who has had a terrible accident and cannot do whatever you're thinking of doing, Yeah, you know, and thinking of that and thinking, what would they give to be able to do that? And that can push you too and think of Mm. how lucky you are to even be able to try it. Mm. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And just thinking back on the premeditatio malorum and the symbolism, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to sink or swim in those Mm -hmm. moments? Um, Are you going to do it or not? And the whole quote of, you know, a, a ship is safe in the harbor, but it's made for the sea. It's made for the stormy waters, the big, the big waves and the storms and, and getting through that. And so I, I like thinking of that. And then you, what I you love just said, that. Yeah. yeah. And what you just said reminded me of Matt Vincent, um, because he's been on the show mm-hmm. and we were just with him the other day mm-hmm. and you An know, excellent his excellent episode if anybody wants. To yeah. It's back. one of the, oh, you will be set on fire we'll listening to mm-hmm. Matt Vincent, his story. Um, but 
you know, his dad passed away. And when his dad passed away, he realized, what if I only have that many more years to live? I, I, I'm probably getting the years wrong, but his dad maybe passed at 60 or 64 and Matt was like 30 or 32. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm at, I'm basically at halftime. I only have this much time left. And so he's thinking about every week. And so I think also thinking, you know, what if, what if we're not going to live to 85, a hundred, yeah. 120, we're not promised that. Uh-huh. I mean, I think of my friend Yates, you know, mm. uh, Can Yates, you share that? yeah, sure. Yates Hagen was my band partner and we had tossed around continuing with the music and doing something else, maybe the songs we liked best and doing a re-release and things like that. We were tossing around some more musical ideas after we finished a double album in 2018 and put that out. And anyway, Yates turned 50 in 2020 and uh, later that year during the... No, I turn, I'm sorry. He turned 50 in 2019. So in 2020, during the pandemic, he fell on his stairs at home and he mm. called himself... He was so healthy. He called himself a human 2.0 yeah. because he never got sick and he ran every day. I mean, just a healthy guy, happy-go-lucky. You never met him, unfortunately. Yeah. Fell, on, fell on his stairs at home and had some sort of brain injury, went into a coma and died two weeks later. And yeah, and Helen just went to go make popcorn. His wife had just stepped out to make popcorn. They were going to go upstairs and watch a show, and he he died. We don't really know what happened. And so, I mean, I think of Yates, and I'm yeah. like, Yates would be like, "Go do it, mm. whatever it is." Mm. So it's the same thing. I mean, as Matsy, we can look at life with a lot different perspective when we think of it as so fleeting yeah. and so short. Right. And I remember we were kind of just started dating when yeah. he, when he mm-hmm. had that had. injury and um, he was in a coma for a week or two. And yeah, it happened right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, we I had remember started right dating we, right, right around then. Yep. Right where we were in the kitchen and you saw your phone dropped or kind of tossed your phone and just collapsed to the ground. I think I threw and, my phone like a hot potato. Yeah. I like threw my phone yeah. and, and sat really. down. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think about Yates all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And, you know, what would someone like that say when mm-hmm. you're thinking of holding back, when you're thinking of not doing something that really you'd love to do, that's not going to hurt anyone, that's something that expresses you? Someone like that's going to say, go for it. Go for it. And if it was me looking down on people, I would. Because why not? Mm. And I think some of your friends... Were you, I don't know if they've like tagged this line, but I've heard it said like, live like Yates. Love like Yates. Love like Mm -hmm. Yates. Yeah. Just because he had this joy for life. He did. Mm -hmm. And talking about him being 50, 51 and having an injury and an accident, but but being called human 2.0. Yeah. I mean, he having that joy for life and loving people all around him. That to me shows his his youthful spirit because he was still getting up on stage and rocking out and oh, drumming like a madman. Totally. He didn't he didn't look fifty one or fifty at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, and he had the attitude of like having a good time, playing drums. And it was, he was expressing his love. You yeah, know? loved his wife, mm-hmm. loved his kids. Yeah. And so, R.I.P. Yates. I love you yeah, so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, my man. Yeah. Wish I would have met you, but his his legacy or what he's remembered for yeah. is being a really special human being. And I think we could even relate that to how are we going to be remembered? Absolutely. Are we going to remember 
by our friends and family. Like, hey, I'm going to, whenever we go, are people mm-hmm. going to say, love like Amy, <laughs> love like Justin? Oh, yes. Oh, they will say love like Justin, oh. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as an aside to that, I was thinking about what to do with my own life. And I took that as a sign. I thought, well, maybe that's not the direction for me right now, you know, because I don't know, you could do it to honor that person, I suppose. But at the same time, music and music and playing. Yeah. I was already working on other paths and building my show and things like that. And so I thought, you know what, that feels right to me. So sometimes these things happen and we can just pay attention to them as indicators like, Oh, okay. Maybe, you know, Maybe that's not what I need to be doing right now. Maybe this direction does feel really good right now. Or maybe I'm going to keep diving into that to honor that person or whatever it is. Whatever happens in our lives, I like to use them as teaching lessons and things that help me and really take them to heart. Like, what am I being shown in this moment? Hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org, join our fight club. Well, going back on Just Start. Just Start. Yeah, Just Start. Um, I'd, I'd like to dive into that because, at least for me personally, I can relate this story. When it came to wrestling, I just jumped in and I lost 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 <laughs> until I finally won. Yeah. Um, and then once I was a national champion wrestler and knew I, before I started wrestling, I knew I wanted to fight. Mm-hmm. When that opportunity came to fight, I was supposed to coach, ended up taking a fight on a one day notice and winning in the first round in about a minute and a half. <laughs> So I just jumped at it and said, yes, as a professional, I had no amateur fights, which is rare. And then I did it again a second time. Uh, supposed to be a coach, took a fight on a day notice. My fighter was sick. And the third time I was in the crowd and they needed a heavyweight. And I was on my third beer with a fake ID. <laughs> and I finished that, raised my hand, stood up and just went in and fought. And that was my shortest fight ever. So just starting, just doing it. When it came to Fight for the Forgotten, I went, my heart was moved. I knew I was supposed to do it. So I just did it. But in comparison, um, you know, we both like the quotes and one of your things in, um, your 50 things you learned is comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. I think when it came to podcasting, when I had the opportunity to podcast, 
I said yes every time to be a guest. But it took over 10 years, more like 14 years, for me to start my own show. Mm -hmm. And so I was asked to do it, asked to do it, asked to do it, asked to do it, told to do it, and I wouldn't do it. And I think I put some sort of expectation on myself that everything needed to be perfect before I could do it. Maybe some of it, I was struggling with addiction or depression and no, I'm not ready yet. Um, but whenever, but there was always opportunities to do it. But whenever we got in a relationship and I saw you doing it, I was your first guest on your new show. Mm -hmm. You had done it twice before, uh, two shows before. Mm -hmm. There was something that finally started to click. Like, yeah, we could do it together. You could be my producer. That made me a lot more comfortable and knowing that a pro is going to be helping me. Um, but I, I don't think I necessarily missed out on years of being able to podcast or a decade of being able to podcast. <laughs> Although if I started a decade ago, maybe it would be in a much different Damn place. It, right? Yeah, because I'd be <laughs> one of the first ones doing it. Yeah. But um, speak to that a little bit, like just start. But also like I just want, at least whoever's listening to know that because of our relationship and because of the kind of person you are an inspiration to me that you are like, it had me be able to believe that, Oh, I could really do this mm -hmm. and I should really do this. Like the time is now. So it's go time. Mm -hmm. And, but, but, but for someone wanting to start that has said no for 10 plus years and you just being able to start knowing that it won't be perfect right at first. Um, you know, how, how, how would you see that or that perspective? And Oh, I mean, you said it in there because you said, you know, you waited and waited because you wanted it to be perfect in some way. Mm -hmm. And we have to remind ourselves that it's not going to be perfect the first time. The first version of anything sucks. Look at TV show pilots. Look at, a TV show that's epic, like Seinfeld, that was well-loved. I mean, if you watch the first episode, it's not good. Mm. And the first one is never going to be your best effort. So you just have to dive in. But it's hard to remember that because you look around at everybody else and think that they've got it all figured out. And so that's where that comparison comes in. And I did not jump into this Amy Edwards show feeling like I was just ready to start knowing it wasn't going to be perfect. No, I had a total nervous breakdown after I signed with the podcast network because we were both with a podcast network and that has since folded. And no, we, we met in Sedona and that was where I did a lot of work around this. I knew I was going to be starting the show and I started to have a lot of anxiety to do it right. As if I'd done it right before every time in the first time, which I hadn't, not with songwriting, not with motherhood, not with marriage, <laughs> not with you know, any name something, right? And so in Sedona, I had a real issue. We did some, we did a breathwork ceremony out there. You were there. And I lost my mind kind of because I thought I can't even do this breathwork ceremony right because I didn't feel like I was doing it right. And I thought, isn't this just typical of me? I can't do anything right because my mind gets away from me and um, I have a hard time with negative thoughts ruminating, which we can talk about in a few minutes. Mm. And so it was just another way that I don't do it right. And I thought, why am I even here? What the hell? This I don't know what I'm doing. 
I'm not contributing anything worthwhile. I don't know how to do it right. And that night I almost left Sedona. I had a real breakdown. And I and thought, in that moment, there was people around you having experiences. And so maybe you were comparing. Oh, in the breath thinking, work? 100%. Thinking, the breath I mean, this person's getting something. This person's getting something. But I'm not. So that comparison is people, the thief of people joy. People sounded like they were having the most epic experiences of their life. Hmm. And I was like, am I supposed to breathe right now? What? What is, is that supposed to be happening? This person's over here like, oh, and I'm like, oh my God, am I doing this wrong? And I started crying and people were trying to comfort me, Vailana and whoever else was there to help. And they were very kind to me, but I was not kind to myself because I was like, you're doing this wrong. You suck. You don't know how to do anything. So this whole monologue went on in my head. And that night I thought, I'm, I'm, I should just leave. This is so stupid because just like this breath work, I don't know what I'm doing with the podcast. I don't know what I'm doing with anything. I need to just quit. I need to go get a job and just give it all up because who are you kidding? You can't even do the breath work. <laughs> you know how many times we get so down on ourselves. Mm. And so I reached out to one of the coaches and she said, just hang in there because the next day, Caitlin, Caitlin uh, how? Yes. And so I was glad she did. And so I decided to just hang in there and not fly home. And the next day we had a soul wander, which basically meant you wander around outdoors in Sedona without any, without knowing the way back or knowing where you're going for five hours and you just basically commune with nature. And I thought, well, that sounds horrible horrible because I need a map. And I've, I mean, one of my things is I like lists and I like mm -hmm. maps. You know how much I like a map. Yeah. My kids will be like, the kids will be like, oh, mom, here's a map, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I love a map. I love to know the way. I like to see the way. I like to know where I'm going. I like to see the destination. And life is not like that. Mm -hmm. Nothing's like that. And as I did that soul wander, I had to tap into it's okay however you go. There's no right way and there's no wrong way. Because right before that, I had been up in my head like, oh, I better listen to Joe Rogan. I better listen to all these other popular podcasts, Gabby Bernstein, whoever, you know, and figure out how they do it and take notes and write it down and structure it that way and blah, blah, blah. And we can get so caught up in the perfection of it and the right way, which doesn't exist. And it can stymie us and it can hold us back. And as I did that soul wander in nature that day, and we didn't, we weren't supposed to use our phones or anything. So I just wandered and I found my own path that probably no one has ever walked before that exact path and the path back. And that's a beautiful thing because that is truly life. Mm. The path we walk is only our own. There's no right way. There's no wrong way to do you and to do me. And I had to let that old stuff go, let all those old things that were going through my head go and trust that there's no right way and there's no wrong way. Hmm. And it still gets the best of me from time to time. I still think, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this right? But I have to, and I think about it as a mom. I think about it as a partner. I think about it no matter what situation. And I have to, actively work to release, to be aware of those and to release those thoughts and remember that there is no right way and there is no wrong way. And on my first episode of the Amy Edwards Show, I talked about the, this exact thing. I talked about starting 
And if anybody wants to reference that, it's there. And I talked about starting, and I talked about no right way and no wrong way, and only your way. And even if you go through addiction, even if you go through hard times, even if you screw up royally, that's still part of your path, and it's okay, and that's your way. No right, no wrong. Yeah, I like that. And <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I do. I like that. And I mean, yesterday I bought a book called Goal Mapping, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a way to map it out with hopes and dreams and goals and to get there. I mean, um, that it's like that title was made for someone like me. Yeah. Like, great. Show me the way. Yeah. But. Well, I, I like. There isn't really you, a way. You reminded me, like, have the plans, but be, be. Uh, agile or flexible or, you know, knowing that it's not, there's a quote, it's something about man, man makes his plans and God laughs Yeah, type thing. Right. Yeah. And so you can make a plan and you can go after it. Mm-hmm. Um, giving, just, giving birth is exactly like that. They say the, the more detailed the, you can write a birth plan. I don't know if you know this. A lot of people share it with me. write a birth plan yeah. and that's a thing. And so they say though, Hey, if you're writing a birth plan, be careful because the more detailed your birth plan is, the more sure that we are that things are going to go completely differently. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you would have if you would have had a birth plan, how many oh, how, I how did. many how, Do you think I didn't? Oh, okay. So you oh, did I and then did. how did it turn out? Oh, I did. I thought you Probably thought it was going to be oh, 2 or 3 or 4 hours. I well, I thought I'm going to be one of these like goddess babes that just has natural childbirth and, you know, basically squats down and gives birth having an orgasm or something. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that'll be me. You know, I'm going, I'm really, I'm really able to do this and I'm going, I'm strong, which I am strong. I'm physically pretty strong and all that. And my birth did my birthing of my first child didn't went nothing like that. I had what they labeled an uncooperative cervix. I don't know how to fix that, you know, and, and I, there I was, I was in labor for 17 were you th- hours. Were you, were you like, did you have a mantra? Like cooperate with me, cooperate with me. You know, I wasn't that good at visualizing <laughs> then I should have visualized my cervix like opening, but I, I made the birth plan and then got there to the hospital after my water broke. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to have natural childbirth. And because for some reason I thought they were like, you know, given awards for that, you know, like, um, you hear people say, oh, she, she had natural childbirth. And it's like, whoa. And so I guess I wanted to brag about that or something, which who cares? Who ca- No one cares. And I mean, I guess like I th- I hear women that did that and I'm like, wow, yeah, well, I admire that, you know, but I didn't do it. And you know what? No one's giving out awards. And at the you end didn't of the do day, it. Why? how many hours was the, it? No one cares. Uh, I, I was in labor all night from about 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., trying to have natural childbirth. And that's when they came back in and they checked me and they were like, well, you have an uncooperative cervix. I hadn't dilated. You have to go for about 11 to 12 hours. You have to go to 10 centimeters. And I went to, I was still at one and I just started crying. And the nurses you've already tried for like 11 or 12 hours. And the nurses, I could tell they like pitied me. They were like, oh, you were so excited because of course I was excited. Of course I was because that's me. And so I had come in excited and Anyway, they were like, oh, well. And so I was like, just, I don't care what you have to do now. Let's just figure it out. Because you can only, after your water breaks, you can only be in labor for so long before there's a risk of infection. So I knew that we were on the clock. And so anyway, it was another 
however many hours after that. And they finally got um, a, an epidural and then I got Pitocin or whatever they had to do to me. I don't know. And then she was turned the wrong way. So we had to do vacuum extraction. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. I had to have, uh, I think it's called an epidural, no, a, a episiotomy where they cut, you know, your perineum and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a lot. And, you know, the more plans we make, the more life is going to be like, maybe that's not the lesson you need to learn. <laughs> maybe you need to learn that, that life doesn't go as planned. And so there was that learning experience. And it just makes you reframe and go, you know what? The important thing is that I have a healthy baby. And I did. And who's 17 now. So Sydney, mm-hmm. who's named after your mother. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how... <laughs> The first thing I said after giving birth, though, my friend Elizabeth, who was there, I had a room full of people, too, because I didn't care. And she said, I just turned over. Half my face had gone numb from the epidural. And so it's hanging there. And I was a mess. And I said, that was that was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Not awesome. That was awful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was awesome in the wrong way. Yeah. Uh Well, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I know I haven't shared it with the audience, but um, we we were in Congo. And I was there and they have, they have something about birth where they, it's a women's only event and they go out into the forest and they know their water has broken Mm -hmm. and they go into the forest and there's a a hole that's been prepared basically that they, uh, they squat over and they put um, like these banana leaves and make out a really soft landing for the baby. Um, And the women go out there and they sing songs and they hold the woman's hand. Um, So she's being held by by both arms, I hear, uh, while she squats over um, the hole. And it's supposed to be a lot more natural that way to give birth that way because they're squatting. Sounds great. Yeah, the squatting position. Supportive community. Yeah, you go to the restroom in that same deep squat that opens everything up a lot more. That's why there's a squatty potty, right? Right, right. So you don't get uh, hemorrhoids, I guess, because we're supposed to be in this deep squat. That's Mm -hmm. the way we were created. And so that is the normal way for um, a child uh, to be born. And it's a ceremony and it's a celebration and it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty epic. Um, we were in Andy Kwakwa, which means the, the place of rebels. And there was a woman there that um, was having a, a bad headache. And so I took her some ibuprofen. Um, it was ibuprofen. Maybe I took her Tylenol, um, and, uh, gave her that and, and made sure she hydrated with the new well that we had just drilled. And so there was already a well celebration and Mm. it was, it was awesome to to be able to give her clean water from the well. Um, so it was, it was meaningful, but you know, I, I wanted her to have relief from her headache and, um, I'm sitting outside maybe, maybe 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later. And there's women that have been checking on her in the hut because she was having an extreme headache and she was sweating and I was hoping it wasn't malaria. Um, and then all of a sudden I heard them saying, uh, that's your name. Yeah. The big pygmy and other women are saying, and it's and then they say, Justin, and it's, <laughs> Justin. And they never said my name, Justin. I was just Efeosa mm-hmm. or and, uh, they're saying it, they're saying it, they're saying it. I try to walk over there to the hut. I was kind of by the fire and I try to walk over to the hut and 
I start to go in and I'm like, I'm, I'm basically saying hello and, and can I come in uh, in Swahili? And then all of a sudden women are pushing on my belly and like pushing me out of the hut, like don't come in here type thing. And so I walk out and they keep saying, Mubitimangbo, Justin. All of a sudden the grandmothers and the elders of the village, um, the women, they start grabbing these sticks, like twigs almost, and they start coming over and they're hitting other men they're hitting me, not not like hard, but they're like hitting us. And the men start kind of running and I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm kind of running, uh, following the men and they're laughing and the women are laughing. And we're, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? Like the women are all hitting the men. Like what is happening? And the, and the little girls are and they're hitting the little boys, all this different stuff. <clears throat> and then they grab me by the hand. Uh, the oldest woman in the village grabs me by the hand. And she, and I see the husbands also grab by the hand and they start to walk us into the hut. And, uh, and basically she had just given birth. She had just given birth and, uh, they literally named the child Mabuti Mangbo Justin. Oh. So they named the kiddo after me, uh, the big pygmy Justin. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? And it was such an honor. I was incredibly grateful. Um, and that, that little, that little guy gets to, was a boy obviously. And, uh, he gets to start off his life on new land with new water wells and all that stuff. But have you followed <clears> up? <throat> Do you know anything? Yeah, about absolutely. He's doing good. <laughs> and, um, he's probably five now. So I'd love to go back and see him. And anyways, I just think of that and how insane it is that, that, that they didn't even get to prepare. They didn't even get to set up the hole, have the ceremony, wow. go into the forest, she thought she yeah. was having a headache. I was thinking she might have malaria. <laughs> and then she was literally in labor um, having having birth. And so they didn't think she was going to have birth for another month or two. Um, wow. And uh, anyways, a story on birth, a <laughs> story on labor. Totally. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, things don't go always as planned. And then um, through, Right, even for no matter what. Yeah. Right. And so a, a, a little premature, but the baby was healthy and awesome and it was awesome to yeah to and see no that matter what your story is mm. no matter what how it ends up for you yeah. it's okay because you know that woman might have even compared like oh i didn't get the experience that other women have or yeah, whatever it is you know no matter where we are we <laughs> might I'm not, I'm not, I don't know yeah, what she we didn't thought, get but, to... but you know, we can hear all these stories or I can hear about how beautiful their ceremonies are and think, wow, you know, I can't compare to that, you know, but I was blessed and fortunate to be in a hospital where uh, they did have what was necessary to help a baby that was turned the wrong way and was jaundiced when she came out and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's just, again, part of that path, part of your path. Like it, it doesn't matter. It's just your path. Like, it's not right or wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, I get the added bonus of saying to my daughter now, I was in labor with you for 17 hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> 17 hours. Yes. That's a long time. Oh. So I can lord that over her <clears throat> yeah. for the rest of her life, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. And, oh, just for the listeners and you, um, the reason they were chasing us with sticks and hitting us uh -huh. in the backs of the legs and on our backs and all this other stuff is because they're like, Basically, in their culture, they're like, "You caused this pain." She, you get to you men, yeah, there. you men never experienced the 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 pains of childbirth. So, so this is for you. This is yours. Right. Let's and, put that tradition <laughs> in the United States. Right? <laughs> so um, it was it was funny. We we had so much fun laughing, and uh, we feasted after that. 
And so I love that. And I love your story there. And well, thanks. Yeah. I one, appreciate it. One thing I was going to, oh man, it backed out of it. But um, one thing I was going to talk about was yesterday. Okay. Yesterday, yesterday, we yesterday. had yesterday. a fun experience because I would say we were with some of the most epic human beings that we get to know in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Hannah Eden, who's been a guest of the show, and her, son, her, her husband, Paulo, who mm-hmm. on the show, people remember her calling him Turbo. Um, Matt Vincent was in town with Brant, who I got to go on the motorcycle trip with. And um, those two, Matt and Hannah, are both on it pros. We were with... Um, who else? We were with Socrates. Aaron. We were with Aaron Alexander, who's also been a guest of this show, mm-hmm. uh, and his uh, girlfriend, Anna, who's a powerhouse human. She's been so, on my show. Yeah. They both have. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so basically, we were with a bunch of power couples Yeah, and incredible human beings that, that Hannah and them all brought together. And there was a moment <clears throat> that we did breath work. And even before that, you and I were sharing our story of how we met, but also how we went through my battle with addiction and your struggle loving someone with addiction and me going uh, to rehab. And anyways, I, I just sent a text like with everyone that was there telling them I love them mm-hmm. and why I love them. And it was a, a, a novel length of a, of a text. Um, but someone in there said, actually it was Socrates. He said, I'll just read one little part, but it was Justin and Amy, your story inspired me. And had and I had goosebumps when you were telling us. And there's a bunch more from everybody that was there, and it was it was just so sweet. But I thought it. I started thinking, us. I thought it. I thought, I thought about. It. I thought it. I thought about how fun it was to be inspired by them, by encouraging them with our story. But then also we can we can talk about all this, that moment sharing the story, but also the moment of both you and Socrates. We talked to him on the phone today. And how nervous he was to give us the gift of breath work mm-hmm. and how you were nervous as well because we brought the, the s- sound bowls um, and you two were doing something together for the first time. At first, we thought he would lead the breath work. Then you would lead the sound bowls afterwards. And then on the fly, you guys both bought, brought the gift to give to us. Um, and it was one of talking about breath work mm-hmm. being a moment of of a really hard time, a struggle where you think I'm not doing it right to then yesterday you were helping lead breath work mm-hmm. with your sound bowls and everybody had a powerful experience. Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but there was a little part of me that was glad I didn't have to do the breath work Oh, because I still have some hangups that I don't have, to, that I don't do it right. And I thought, I'm really glad I get to sit here and play the sound bowls, even though I was a little nervous and I did have some thoughts because I don't play the sound bowls that much. I yep. own them and I just don't use them that much. And But I like them so much. And mm. so I had to just release to, okay, don't worry about doing this right. You want to provide this experience for people and just put your heart into it and it'll be okay. But there was like a little part of me that was like, oh, these people are badasses and they are experienced and they've probably heard a million sound baths that are so good. And... I didn't even bring all my bowls. Is this going to be fulfilling enough? Is this going to be good enough? You know, there was like little things running through my head as they do that I was able to just ignore. (laughs) And so I just dove in and did my best and showed, I showed up and did my best, but there was a part of me that was happy. I didn't have to do the breath work because that's hard for me, you know? And 
they were both hard, but I would much rather be serving hmm. than doing that myself. And so anyway, that that was a little bit of perspective in that, you know, you never really know what's going on with somebody, I guess is the thing. Like, I don't, th- I don't know if you would have even realized that I felt that no, way. No, I, I, yeah. I didn't even know that. I just was making a correlation of like, you didn't like breath work, but then all of a sudden we all had this amazing experience in breath work with you leading it. I was thrilled that everybody had an experience yeah. and that everyone uh, enjoyed the sound healing from it because those vibrations are so yeah. powerful. So, and I, I think that speaks to me too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think Socrates had something great to say. He goes, you know, we were both nervous and it was one of our first times doing this ever publicly, Yeah, but it was really awesome. It was really cool. I'm so grateful. Um, but being able to be like, Hey, you know, we showed up and we, we it was a gift. We were mm-hmm. trying to give a gift and it was received. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. I was glad so to have someone there with me too, because mm-hmm. that's comforting a lot to me. I like to have someone with me. And when you're pushing yourself and doing something alone, it's a more vulnerable space. Yeah. It's playing alone versus being in a band. You know, you have each other to lean on and, mm. and lift each other up. And when it's all you, it's just all you. I mean, I'm sure you know that because you don't play team sports. You right. Know? Yeah. It and is all so you. it is you. It is you. But they're also in that moment of fighting. It's all you and there's no excuses, but you do have cornermen and coaches and training partners sure. that have all helped you get there. So you feel their energy mm-hmm. in there with you. And, and there's a, another component of that that feels very powerful. Mm. Like, yes, it is me. Yeah. I do have power in this moment. Yeah. But I also think even breaking that ba- down with you and Socrates, um, y'all both being, uh, the plan was maybe him leading first than you playing. Mm-hmm. Maybe both of you were nervous and that's why you got together. Yeah. But it was exactly what it was supposed to be Yeah, um, by y'all being vulnerable together, mm-hmm. leaning on each other. How much of it do you think is just showing up? 80, 90%? <laughs> I mean, you know, nearly all of it. Nearly all of it. Yes, just showing up. Just and showing then, up. And then just bringing your energy. Yeah. I mean, preparation is nice too. Mm-hmm. But if you just show up and listen and do your best, that's going to be enough. At least it has been in my experience. A lot of times. And if you relax a little bit, I think there's definitely a relaxation to it. If you get too up in your head and too tense about it, that can show and it doesn't provide the best experience. And I'm relating it really to podcasting and radio too, because one of the philosophies of radio is a much faster pace because back when I was doing it a lot, it was live. And so you show up and you just do your best in that moment. And you really have to listen and you really have to tune in and you really have to think on your feet more. Hmm. And those are all muscles that get stronger with time, of course. Uh, but I think relaxing into that, hey, I'm doing my best and we're all doing our best and that's okay. Hmm. And I can just show up and try and get better and learn from this. And then it snowballs and it gets easier the next time. Hmm. I really like that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I might take a little bit of a left turn here. I'm going to pull Okay, up a, let's turn left. I don't email. know which way is left, but I'm fine with <laughs> You that. don't, and that's... that's, that's <laughs> no, I have funny. trouble with right and left. So um, this woman named Bree, I had a really powerful Bree Cox, mm-hmm. a powerful moment in Kansas with, and recently I... I went up to speak, and speaking is my number one fear, um, but I've done it more and more. And, you know, it was, it was hard for me because I thought I was going to cancel a speaking engagement in Kansas. Got a notification, that, or I got a call that my dad was having 
yeah. to go have an emergency heart surgery. Yes. So I didn't get on the plane out of Austin. I got in a car and I drove to Dallas to see him. I was supposed to be flying to Kansas. They postponed his surgery. I was supposed to speak on Saturday. His surgery was supposed to be Friday. I got there, had a great time with him. We laughed, we cried. And then whenever it was postponed to Monday, his surgery, I decided I'd drive to Kansas. And they said, no, you don't have to come. And, um, but I was the only speaker. It was an event for me to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I was kind of like, well, can I come? I know I don't have to come, but can I come? Can I come like just give what you guys were hoping for and expecting? And I, I had a whole speech planned, prepared all the slides, but instead I, I, I went there and I really tried to be present in that, that moment. Well, I'm starting to get into speaking more, even though it's a fear and putting myself out there. And I got some speaking endorsements and I think I'll read it just because like sometimes when you put yourself out there, um, good things come mm -hmm. and, uh, and so many people were, it was a small group, but I saw more tears from sharing my story than maybe ever before. And I got to personalize it on the fly instead of like being so attached to my slides. Mm -hmm. I think that really made it more fresh and more real mm -hmm. and more vulnerable um, to know some of the stories from talking with them and saying, oh, this person went through this recently and this person, there's a little girl and she uh, jumped off a cliff her first time ever cliff diving, uh, boating for a holiday. Yeah. And whenever she was like, she's like seven, eight years old and her brothers are older teenagers and she was the first one to jump in after her dad. And, I mean, that speaks to people's hearts. You were listening to them mm. and then reflecting it back. You know, you were yeah. doing it more on the fly. You were yeah. showing up and doing the best you could, but also really participating mm. with those people. Yeah. Well, the little girl, I got to use her as an example of taking a leap of faith. And uh, oh. she took that leap. And mm -hmm. when she hit, she hit funny and she busted her nose and oh, just God. blood all over. Her dad swam over. She's crying. And, and it's scary and she's crying. She's seeing all her blood. And she asked her dad, how do I get this blood off me? He goes, put your face back in the water and shake your head. And so she did. And then she came up, she goes, is it gone? And he goes, yeah, it's gone. And, uh, something happened in her. She's just this little energetic little warrior. Uh, <clears throat> and she looked back up at her brothers and then she started talking trash. She said, see how brave I am? You, you, you're scared to jump in. <laughs> I, I did it before you. And so then her brothers literally were scared, but then they ended up jumping in. And so just seeing that moment of courage and how it can encourage others to take that leap of faith. Yeah. So <clears throat> Brie wrote me this and uh, we'll get back to all this, but I just thought it was a moment to, to, to kind of relay what you've been saying, you know, take those leaps of faith and, and just get started and be present in the present moment. And so Bree wrote, I didn't expect an MMA fighter to have me in tears for most of this presentation, but I guarantee every human will leave changed for the better. Having heard the big thing talk an atypical speaker in the way he is the tallest, strongest, toughest athlete I've ever met in person. Justin is immediately warm, inviting and intriguing in his life's journey and life's work. Our two teenagers both said he was the best speaker they've ever heard. See that to me is crazy. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not, but it is, you know, it's my, it's my biggest fear. Um, and maybe I compare and think I'm not as good as this guy or mm -hmm. that person. Uh, best speakers I've heard. Justin is sensitive, earnest, and, and interactive, adapting his material to benefit his audience on the fly. I think my teen said it best when 
I asked them how the talk affected them. My 15 year old son said, if we all treated other people and looked at life the way he does, we'd have a utopia. My 14 year old daughter said he showed us you can come from a regular or even a disadvantaged background and still meaningfully impact others' lives. Or in his case, with his work with the pygmy people, um, you can bring uh, joy to a whole village. And, um, you know, that just, I mean, obviously that really blessed me hearing, mm -hmm. but that was the one that I was nervous about, um, that I, that I had a valid excuse not to show up, mm -hmm. um, that, that they could have canceled the whole event or they could have done something else. Um, but anyways, I, th I think in that moment for me, it was, it, it, I really hoped it was going to be a gift to them, but I knew it was going to be a gift to me. Like my dad's having the surgery. Uh, I need to not just get my mind off of it, but like show up, do something good, go back filled up from having served. Like, so I could show back up for my dad and like give him hopefully a gift of like encouragement before having the surgery and might not make it through. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about that and also, you know, going back to birthing, I know that's taken a way back, but you know, those moments of, of grief, we talked about Yates and him passing, mm -hmm. but, but Sydney, your mother and Sydney, your daughter coming into to, to life, your mom passed, was it seven months into your pregnancy? Yes. I was seven months pregnant, seven months pregnant. So mm -hmm. two months later, you're in 17 hours of labor. Mm -hmm. How hard was that to go through? being pregnant and then how did you choose to honor your mother by giving Sydney her name? I mean, I chose to honor her by giving her a name. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was really difficult because I didn't imagine having my first child and my mom not being around for it. Mm. And so that is really hard. Yeah. And it was a time in my life where a lot went on, obviously giving birth to my first child, my mom dying I mean, I felt like I suddenly became a woman. And I think probably when a parent, well, when any parent dies, it does sort of catapult you into more of an adult because you're like, whoa, that next generation is gone. You know, I'm the older generation now. And both my parents have passed. And so um, having her gone and I thought, wow, you know, yes, I still have my father, but that was really it. And... I I think that there was a whole host of things that happened. Me becoming a mother at the same time as losing mine was just a, um, I don't know, interesting synchronicity. And so I had to embrace it and know that she was there in spirit. And uh, I used to pray a lot. And I'm not particularly religious um, as far as organized religion, but I'm spiritual. And I prayed a lot before that. But when she died, I just stopped praying. And I don't know why. I really didn't start again until probably in the last year or so, maybe in the last couple of years. And that surprised me. But I just stopped. And I still am not sure why. And it just affected me in some ways that I think were bigger than just your mom passing. You know, I feel like I had to grow up a lot and be a mom and show up in a whole different way. My life, when you have your first child, your life does a 180 as a woman. As a man, I don't think so much. Yes, it's a huge change. But as a woman, your life is not your own anymore. And I 
understood that in a whole new way. And around that same time, I changed. I changed, and over the course of the next year, my marriage started to fall apart, and I broke my leg really severely. And had to have surgery. I had to have surgery. I smashed. I have um, a metal plate in my leg and a lot of pins. I smashed my tibial plateau and tore my ACL. And so it was jarring in many ways. And and then after that, I had to learn to walk again. Mm. At the same time, my daughter was learning to walk. And then wow, yeah. And then split up with my husband, my first husband, and so her dad. And so it was a huge life change and a huge life change is. And that was a, a monumental part of my life, time in my life in my early thirties. And, um, you know, they all impact all those things just combined to impact me, to make me grow up and make me show up. And that's what I did for the most part. You know, grow up and show up. Grow up and show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you've got a kid, I mean, yeah, you can not show up, but I don't consider that an option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess it's. I guess it's an option, but it's not ever going to be the option I mm-hmm. choose. So. And then, part of your fifty things you've learned. Is... And can I just add on to that too? Yeah, please. And I think that there was a lot in there too for becoming a mother for my child to see who I really was and for me to step into myself more honestly. And I think that's part of why I got a divorce. And I think that's, that's part of all of it. You know, my body broke in a way I had to learn things that new. My mother was gone and I had to think, what am I really going to show this child? And that was when I started writing my first book right around that time. It took me 12 plus years to get it out, but that's how books go. And so anyway, I just wanted to tack that on there too. Yeah. And and when you say you're not necessarily religious, but you're spiritual, like I, I really appreciate how you look at life, how you look at this source of love, God, how you, I mean, before we started this podcast, we said a quick prayer and you've been asking me since I had my car accident, you know, have you prayed? Have you prayed for your body? Have you prayed for like to get better? Have you prayed for this situation with something else that's going on? And there's times that you and you I pray been. together. I hadn't been recently. And and I don't um, know why. Yeah. Have you asked yourself why you were not? I think being in pain. I think being tired and distracted. usually makes people pray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um I I think there is something beautiful about prayer and then praise, whether it's praising God or, or just acknowledging the universe and, and just praising and, and doing it at the same time. I've, I've heard someone once before, and I really like this. I took hold of it, <clears throat> that like the two wings you flap at the same time are, are prayer and praise. And that's how you like soar on wings oh, like, like, that. like eagles. Mm-hmm. But they basically said, like, soar or rise above your problems, like whatever it is, or rise out of that valley. And they're basically saying it's easy to pray when things aren't good. Right. Or it's easy to pray when things are bad. Or, you know, you're in pain. Or, like I said, though, these mm-hmm. should be easy. Um, and then he also said on the flip side, um, it's easy to praise when everything's good. Whenever everything's going right, whenever, or it's easy to be grateful when everything, when, mm-hmm. when you're rocking it, when you get a raise or when, you, you know, this deal goes through, when you get a victory, it's easy to do it then. Yeah. 
But he said it's hard to pray when things are good. To switch those two. Yep. And it's hard to praise when things are bad. Mm -hmm. But try doing them together. You know, a a bird doesn't fly by flapping its left wing or flapping its right wing. It has to do them together. Yeah. And so anyways, I I liked that. And so, I mean, this conversation is going to help me go back to that. Yeah. And those have been the best times of my life whenever I'm doing them together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it. And I've had to come into my own on that too, but I completely agree. It's when we find it's in flow and it's easy, you know, take note of those moments and then try to apply them when it's hard. Right. Because I mean, it's, true that this too shall pass when you're in the dark times, but that's also true for the amazing, awesome times Mm. that are so good. They shall pass too. It all passes. And so how can we apply those really basic things to any situation? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and not letting your routine or habits in the good times that got you to the good times, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden halt or stop as soon as like, Life happens. Sure. When some things stack up. Sure. And luck isn't going your way. Mm-hmm. Um, I experience not that a being lot. Grateful. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I do a lot of affirmation work, as you know, <laughs> because Lots. it's plastered all over our house. And for me, I have to. I don't know if it's something about the way my brain works or what, but those are easy to say when you're feeling good. Maybe you got a good night's sleep, you aren't in pain. Um, maybe things are going well, maybe you, you know, got new followers and, you know, your podcast is doing okay and you've got some money in the bank. I don't know. And it's easy to be like, yes, I feel good. Life is good. I am beautiful. I am, you know, blah, blah, blah. My, my highest power is always with me, all these things and to feel really wonderful. But if you can just, just grab onto those things and still apply those same ones when you're having a down moment, that there is power in that. And it's, very hard to train yourself to do. It just takes diligence. And that is something that I have to work at still all the time. And that's part of why I use affirmations. I think affirmations sometimes get a bad rap because people say, oh, you're repeating what's not true. And I disagree. I think you're repeating something that is true that you just don't yet believe. Mm. And so or that is going to be true that isn't yet into reality, but but by you saying it, I mean, Muhammad sure. Ali would say, I'm sure. the greatest of all time. And he, sure. he he literally said, I said I was the greatest before I even knew I was. Ooh, And yeah. it's like, wow. And he would say stuff like, uh, if you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, yeah. part of that is the competitor mindset that, I mean... I mean, I do it too. I do it too. Yeah. I say, you know, I am the number one female podcaster in the world. And obviously I'm not at this com- this particular point in time, but I do say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how important are affirmations? Because just to set it up, there are affirmations all over our house. Yes. Um, on most of the mirrors, the mirror in our bedroom, the mirror in our bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, mirrors downstairs, I think have a couple and they're even on the wall in the bathroom. And whenever you take a shower and you turn it to cold, you'll, you know, because the glass is clear and you can see the mirror, uh, you'll be reading those as you're in the cold shower, like basically yeah. declaring them mm-hmm. over yourself, over your life and bringing those into existence. Mm-hmm. Um, They're really important to me. And that was one of the main things I wanted to say today 
because I had to think about what have I really overcome? And so much of what I've overcome, yes, you know, we all have stories and yes, my parents died and, and things like that, divorces, depression, whatever it is. But for me, one of the main things that I've had to overcome is my own mind. Negative ruminations? Ruminations. Yes. I am a ruminator. I saw that you wrote negative ruminations are not normal. I did write that on the 50 things uh, because that is something that I have learned from the time, from as long as I can remember laying in bed at night, falling asleep, I would go over and over either negative situations or negative thoughts about myself and beat myself up about things. And never was I falling asleep, lifting myself up. Never was I falling asleep, loving myself. And I didn't even understand that people didn't do this. I really didn't even know it wasn't normal until a few years ago. And I had never even heard of the phrase or the word ruminations. And I heard someone say it maybe in a podcast. And I thought, what is that? And I looked it up. And literally the next day, I was touring a ketamine clinic here in town. And the woman who runs it, uh, Allie at Aluma, Allie Waddell, she's an amazing person. And she said, she started listing off the things that ketamine therapy helps with. And she listed off PTSD, you know, the usual suspects, PTSD, depression, anxiety, all the things, trauma. And she said, ruminations, she's threw in there. And I thought, what? Ruminations. And I thought, here I am hearing that again. And when I had looked it up the day before, I was stunned. I was like, this is what I do. I go over and over the same things. And from a scientific perspective, our brains can wear little grooves in our neural pathways that force us to think the same thoughts over and over. And it's very difficult to overcome once you've worn those pathways. But we can overcome it. I am proof. I did do ketamine therapy. Do I think we can do it without therapies like that? Yes, I do. I think people can. This is just the path I took. I did do six ketamine therapy sessions that were intravenous at Aluma. And I really did the first one just because I wanted to interview her and I wanted to know what it was like. And so I did the first one, but I noticed the very next day that I was having new thoughts I had some positive thoughts and I thought I am shook by my own thoughts at this moment. I got an awareness to where I thought, oh, this is new. And so I thought I told her then at that point, I said, look, I don't think I can afford it right now, but I want to figure out a way to do more of these because I'm noticing a change in my thoughts that I need because suddenly I'm talking to people and realizing they don't fall asleep beating themselves up. And I thought, that's an option? (laughs) And so my own mind had been such an obstacle for my whole life. I had worn the grooves since childhood in my brain, and it was all too easy to fall back into those thought patterns of beating myself up and thinking I suck. And I'm, I know it's a cliche, not good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at anything. I'm incompetent. What am I even trying to do? Just all the bullshit. And so I went ahead and proceeded with the ketamine therapy and I did affirmations. I started doing affirmations right around the same time. 
And a few friends had kind of introduced me to some things that they were doing as practices, listening to them in their car, reading them all the time. And I thought, you know what? Anything to replace these thoughts, anything, because they're just bringing me down. And so I just diligently, I, A, I became aware of it, and B, I diligently built new habits. So yeah, I did the therapy, but I also had to crack the whip on myself when I was falling asleep and replace those thoughts. And now I don't beat myself up when mm. I fall asleep. And I started simple falling asleep because my mind can wander with the best of them. And I started thinking, I love myself. Simple as that. Even when you're feeling like you don't love yourself, just can you say, I love myself? And, you know, we talk about this all the time. I think I asked you yesterday when the last time you told yourself, I love you. And you couldn't remember. Yeah. I said, I think it's been months or it had been too weeks. long. If you yeah. can't remember, it's been too long. And so a self-love practice is something that I developed as time went by, but this was, a, we're talking about my late forties and I'm still doing these things where I beat myself up. You know, we can talk about the music career, but I'll still, I would still run through things in my head that I did wrong, that embarrassed me, that I was sure people thought were stupid that I was sure made me look dumb, that I, you know, just you name it. And so I had to actively implement new phrases and affirmations have really helped me with that. And that's why I'm a huge proponent. And if you can say it out loud, even better, but just saying it in your head helps. But if you're driving in your car, you don't look crazy. People think you're on the phone. Just talk, you know, you can just talk. And it snowballs and it's almost, it's, it's like a prayer because you end up saying, I trust myself. I love myself. I can do this, whatever it is, you know? And so I started to fall asleep and I still do it pretty much every time I fall asleep. I don't know if you know that we sleep in the same bed, but I don't know if you know that. Yeah. And I have to repeat these things in my head. I love myself. Life loves me. That's my go-to. I love myself. Life loves me. And I'll just repeat it in my head and I fall asleep quickly. And I feel better when I'm falling asleep. And now I do other practices like visualization or other phrases or whatever when I'm falling asleep. So you can expand upon it as the muscle gets stronger. But I just wanted to offer that to people that sometimes our own mind is our biggest obstacle. So many times it is, right? Yes, we're going to have genetic things. Yes, we're going to have situations and incidents and all the things, right? But our own mind and our own framing of it and how we deal with it is just a huge component of how we're going to feel in our lives and how we feel affects our actions and affects everything and affects how we treat other people. And so I have had to do this, get aware of it and stay diligent on top of it. And it's become a habit for me, thank goodness, but it can slip sometimes. And it slipped just yesterday. I'm reading a new book called The Big Leap. And he's talking about some things that can hold us back that are our own beliefs. And I still unearthed some BS going on in my own head. And it kind of made me laugh this morning as I thought about it again. And I thought, <laughs> wow, you know, I think that I'm not capable of these things because I'm just a girl. Hmm. And I was like, well, damn it. Get out of there. You know, so I'm still finding things that I believe to be true that I know aren't true that I have to unearth, put into the sunlight, 
shine a light on them, and then they will disintegrate as I replace them with what is true, Hmm. which is that I'm capable of anything. We all are. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. But yeah, I just... I just, I wanted that to offer to anybody in any situation, you know, just start really simply with your own mind. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's really good. No, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the different tools and techniques and therapies um, that can, can help people. I'll throw a little disclaimer out there that, that ketamine therapy really helped you. And then if you're like me, maybe uh, a a full blown real deal addict, uh, proceed with, with much caution. Um, because right. you might want to go out afterwards right. and get some on the street or, or right. whatever it is, or get a doctor to prescribe however, it to you. However, however let's we, go ahead and say, though, that you did do ketamine therapy. Yep. And, and then I relapsed after. We, you did, but we do suspect well, that it might have reset some of your neural pathways. Yeah. Because yep. you didn't have suicidal thoughts like you for would have. For the first time ever in a relapse. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to go to treatment with a much more positive right. perspective of like, the first time I went as a punishment and there were thoughts, even while I was at treatment, man, maybe I should have just killed myself. Yeah. And I had a very powerful, profound experience that I didn't kill myself whenever I should have. And those thoughts still showed up. And those thoughts still showed up. Mm -hmm. And so the second time I went because of ketamine therapy and because of the gift of, of that, it could have reset some things in my neural pathways that I am grateful for. Um, and it's hard to pinpoint. It is hard to pinpoint what it is. It is for me too. Yeah. But but it could be it could be it could be mm-hmm. and I also could have really needed the experience and relapse um, because now it's something I'm grateful for. Sure, having a couple days ago uh, passed into ten months sober. Congratulations! Um, thank you. I'm mm-hmm. really grateful for that. And yeah. How many days sober do you have? Uh, I'd have to check my phone, okay. but I can. But what, um, but I also want to say, yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint, but I think. If you are just going into it with the mindset of, I'm going to pay attention to this mm-hmm. and I'm going to do the work to... That's the most important thing. To be in a better place mentally yeah. and, um, and and affect my own life in a positive way, which is what you were doing. Yeah, were I was journaling and I was right. creating better habits and practices and all that. Right. And it, I'm not saying the ketamine therapy made me relapse. I relapsed because I relapsed. Um, and And... But having had reflected upon some of the things that really helped me during the therapy. Um, I'll always be grateful for that part. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but you've, you've gone sober. However you say yes, it, or you I have decided to be sober. I tried to pull up my sobriety clock, but it's just sitting here. I, You're I over 140 something days. I'm over 150. Yeah. So days. whatever that is. And um, it was April 14th. So it's coming sure up on six comes months. Out. Yes. And in, um, October, it will be six months. I think it's 180 days is like October 11th. And so, yeah, that's been a real interesting journey too, you know, and it's way outside my comfort zone. My comfort zone is having a drink. My comfort zone is, is, you know, kicking back with a drink and taking it easy and, um, and not the uncomfortableness of, not drinking or, or even doing a psychedelic or anything. Cause I'm across the board sober. Yeah. Would you have any, I mean, maybe people hearing would assume that you decided to go sober cause I'm sober or that maybe I, 
but I haven't even, I didn't even ask or, no. or expect or. It helped though. Having a sober yeah. partner definitely helped because I imagine if you are in the groove and in the habit of ha- having a drink with your partner, it would be a lot harder, right? Right. So, um, so it definitely made it easier because it's just not a part of our lives regularly. Yeah. And so I, I, it, it just was so outside my comfort zone though that like, with friends and in social situations that I thought, okay, here's a learning opportunity. And so I decided to try it for a while. And it was after I interviewed a sober coach, Amanda Kuda, who's coming out with a book next year called Unbottled Potential. And she talked about how much quicker we can manifest, how much more growth we can experience and how we can expand and become better versions of ourselves even more quickly just hit the gas on that if we take alcohol out of the equation. So I thought, what the hell? Yeah. And wasn't Andrew Huberman talking about um, how much better sleep you get and just how much... uh... Andrew Huberman has an amazing recent episode where it's a solo episode and he talks about the science behind alcohol in our bodies. And it is really sobering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Fun, fully into Yeah. And Dr. Amon. So those are two other resources um, or three others is go back and listen to the podcast, the Amy Edwards show with Amanda Kuda. Yes, definitely. Um, Amanda's amazing. And I'm I'm actually going to be on her show for my six months. Great. Mm -hmm. And then Huberman Lab, one of the recent (laughs) ones on alcohol, Dr. Daniel Amon, my doctor Mm -hmm. who you and I both appreciate, uh, and is posting uh, it on Instagram, like the yeah. effects of alcohol, why he doesn't drink. He just released that like I yesterday or two days ago. That. He did. And I would also suggest one that's called this podcast will kill you and mm. two women that are in the medical field and they discuss the history of alcohol and what it actually does to our bodies from a very deeply scientific perspective. So it's, yeah. it's a good like adjunct to mm. Huberman lab. Well, while I was at treatment, I found found this really interesting because the old, not saying weed is good, weed is my second worst drug um, besides Oxycontin. Um, I'll turn weed into Oxy, but we were talking about it and there was a, a therapist that's also like a doctor of, of addiction and what it's doing in the brain. And he was coaching us and teaching us and sharing with us and basically saying, do you all remember? And he pulled up uh, the... Uh, like on YouTube, like, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Right? <laughs> and they're talking about crack weed. The basically. Egg. Crack the egg oh, and yeah. putting it in there. And basically, that weed's going to fry your brain. That's the old 80s reference. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, but he was basically saying, do you know that alcohol is the only only substance that, that we use recreationally um, that liquefies yeah. every organ in your body? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why alcoholics will get something called wet brain. Um, and you're literally liquefying parts of your brain, your liver, all this different stuff. Um, and that it's so normalized uh, in our culture just because it's part of everything. And this isn't at all. If someone's listening to this and they drink, like, hey, enjoy yourself. Uh, but sure. Safe. But alcohol has um, the ability to permeate our blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. This is in the Huberman podcast. And yeah. it can do things that other substances can't do. Yeah. Well, they were talking about the damage that someone can recover faster from meth addiction. Wow. um, From heroin addiction, that it does less damage on your body than an alcoholic. You can rebound from it and you see meth addicts and you're like, no way. 
no, no way. Oh. Um, but cause they're getting little sleep, all this other stuff, uh-huh. but like a real deal alcoholic compared to a real deal meth addict, like they're doing more damage on their body, the alcoholic, which I, I, I still have a hard time wrapping my brain around cause it's so one, so normalized and one mm-hmm. so demonized mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's just, it's just crazy. Think there's about been a, you. there's been a TikTok trend going around though. They're like, what's, what's the scam. That's the biggest scam that's been normalized. And a lot of people have stitched that. And I've seen a few where people talked about alcohol and they mm. were like straight up alcohol is the biggest scam because we, it's so normalized and pervasive in our society. And it's, it's almost impossible to escape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for you talking about sleep um and how you used to go to bed ruminating Mm -hmm. i haven't known that amy uh maybe there's been a couple of times uh in our relationship that maybe you're really thinking about something before bed but it's for me hearing all this with your story about it i'm like whoa i mean i i I knew i know you Mm -hmm. so i knew that had been in the past but it's just crazy to me to think about because I am the one in bed with you that I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, she used to be that way because now I know her as the one that I didn't know every night you go to bed with affirmations. But when you go to bed, you look relaxed, calm. You've been reading a book or, 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 you know, ready to go to sleep, protecting your sleep. And then now by adding the last basically six months, you've been sober. How, how have you felt your sleep's improved? I can fall asleep much easier. Yes. And that is a beautiful thing. I mean, I've had times where I can't fall asleep and or whether it's my own thoughts or physical or whatever. I think I cut out smoking too, because I smoked with alcohol mainly, but I didn't quit smoking until 2018, uh, 2019. And so those both coursing through your veins, I would feel the effects, maybe not that night, but the in the next couple of days, I could feel the nicotine, or I could feel the alcohol, and it would affect me in a really jittery kind of way that I don't I don't quite know how to describe. But it it just it made me on edge hmm. essentially, and it was very hard to fall asleep. So I don't experience that anymore, and that's really wonderful. I'm very careful about my sleep, though. I I'm careful about not drinking caffeine late in the day. I'm careful about eating certain things that are going to affect my sleep. So I, if you, if anyone listens to my show, I'm a huge sleep proponent and I think that that's the key to life. So anything that I can do to make my sleep better is extremely valuable in my opinion. Hmm. Well, I, I had a random thought just now. You have really good genes um, to have been a smoker and drinking and then you know, you as long as you, you do and the sleep. Yeah, genetics. G- g- thank, and thank you to genetics. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah my dad you life. smoked his whole life. My mom smoked until she was 40 and she still looked good. I mean, yeah, it was... I know. Um, I know. I imagine I'd look like a fetus if I had never smoked or drank. I mean, <laughs> my gosh. Reverse aging. Yeah. Reverse yeah. aging. Well, <laughs> one of the things you wrote down is get honest. It feels better. I had a feeling you were going to pick that one. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Get honest. It feels better. Not only that, that, I mean, honest with yourself. I know we're probably wrapping up pretty soon. No, no, we're good. Oh, we are. Oh, okay. I mean, we've got ten minutes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, I just noticed this is ten minutes worth of talk that I want to do. But yeah, getting honest and 
that means also... You've got 15 minutes. It means not only with other people, but it means with yourself. I think it starts with yourself. Yeah. And getting in really good touch with your own voice. Those two are hand in hand. And those have been huge themes throughout my life, whether it was songwriting, whether it was being a mom, whether it was divorce, whether whatever it was, I had to get honest with myself and find my own voice around that and be able to voice your own honesty, right? And, and even now when I've moved into working on being really honest, I'll notice little ways that I'm tending to not be honest. So we may think we're really honest, but there's always little spots that can crop up if we get really tuned into it. And that means, what I mean by that is those times when you want to make things sound a little bit better than maybe they really are. Or maybe you want to tailor whatever you're saying to that person, but you know that's not quite the real story. The more we do that, the better it feels. And the more you're able to do that, when you just find those little tiny spaces. I am not a fan of white lies at all. There's, if we get creative, there's always another way to say something, right? Even if you are asked, hey, do you like this on me? You know, maybe you don't. And you can say something creative like, like, you look like you feel so good in that. I love that. You know, or, that's almost a little passive aggressive. But anyway, there are there are ways to express things and ways to be honest without compromising our own integrity. And more importantly, every time something comes out of our mouth that is honest, we're building integrity with ourselves. Mm. We're building trust with ourselves. We're knowing that we're a person that can be counted on for ourselves. Mm. And that is ultimately so powerful because that is something that people notice. They don't know why they trust you, but they just do. And it's because you're a trustworthy person mm. because you keep your word to yourself because your ears are hearing your own voice say things that are true. If your ears are hearing your own voice say things that aren't true, not only are you deteriorating your own integrity, but it's going to show. I don't know how, but it is. You know, when you see somebody and you're like, I don't know why I don't trust them. I can't put my finger on it. I'm going to just guess that that could possibly be a reason. They're not truly living in an honest way and truly speaking truth. Yeah. <laughs> truly speaking truth. And so... The more I do it, the better it feels. And I think, too, it comes with age because I was a huge liar when I was a teenager. I lied to my parents. I didn't lie to my friends, but I did lie to my parents all the time, and I didn't care, and I stole and just did things that were not they were very teenage, right? And I look back on that, and I cringe a bit, but I understand that it was part of learning for me. And that's okay. I give myself some grace around that. So it's not like I've always been super honest. And as I'm in the 12-step program for Al-Anon, I know that there's probably things that I still need to make right that I can find that I've been dishonest about. But I am working on it. And I am looking for those spaces to get better at it all the time. And it's been an interesting journey for me to realize that 
when I speak and when I speak truth, my own ears are hearing that and I'm building integrity in myself and I'm knowing that I'm a person that can be trusted. And that feels really good. Yeah. Don't you think so? Yeah. You and I have moved in, in our relationship to that space of really, our words are true to each other. Mm. What we're doing is true to each other. That we have an open phone policy, mm-hmm. you know, because I think... we, we, I don't know. I'm curious what a relationship can be like when you really live in that space. Yeah. I think that, I mean, even that text message that I started with, um, about how they got goosebumps, how they were inspired. Um, these people that inspire us. Yeah. And it somehow before we were going to do breath work, maybe at eight or nine and we ended up starting at like 10 or 10 30. Yeah. Um, and we're just having conversations around the table Mm -hmm. and we were able to open up about our, my addiction, our past, Mm -hmm. how we basically moved through it, how you were done. If I didn't go get help, how you basically held, held us or held me open-handed and just like, I can't do this anymore. And then it was up to me. It was up to me. What am I going to do? Am I going to go get help and we're going to fix this, fix myself, work on me mm-hmm. so that I can come back and work on us and, and, yeah. and um, show up and get honest. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what, that's the type of partner I'm looking for. And that's what you've risen up and done. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's been I great. mean, we wouldn't be really sitting here rewarding. right now. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly been really and, incredibly rewarding and, to live honestly. Yeah. More and, honestly. You know, it's, I'm glad we're ending with this because that is the, that is what we're striving for with these podcasts too for better or worse, telling our truth and saying it out loud, you know, like Mm. you starting a podcast, maybe you weren't at a place in your life during those 10 years or whatever, where you could really speak honestly, Mm. because that's not going to resonate with people. At least I don't think it does. I mean, when you hear somebody and you can like sense something's off, it doesn't resonate, right? It's got to come from the heart. And that, that takes real self work to be able to do. And, and you, you and I, are both that's what we're going for and that's what we did yesterday too talking to everybody we were vulnerable and honest about what it was like the day that you went to rehab and it wasn't easy (laughs) i was honest about that on my podcast no it wasn't but i think that resonates with people because in the real world it's not facades like it's like there's things that talk to our heart and when you hear somebody talk honestly and vulnerably that's when you know somebody else is going through it too and you're like, I'm not alone. Like, Oh, other people get it. And that's, that's my message. Like, yes, other people get it. Be honest about your story. Be honest about your life. And I I swear magic happens. Mm. At least I'm a believer. I, I really think that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm striving for on my show. That's what I'm striving for by sitting here. Mm. That's why I have to say the things that I'm I'm saying. Like, you're not alone. Your story matters. There's no right or wrong way. Just just tell the truth. And and it feels really good. Let the chips fall where they may. I mean, take action in the direction you want to. But, I mean, really, if other people can't handle it, that that is really their problem. Mm. Truly is. And... I read something the other day that was like lying is attempt to control another person's reality. Hmm. Whoa. 
And it really is. And so are you trying to control? And what are you actually hearing? Are you hearing your own voice lying and controlling? Are you hearing your own voice building your integrity? Are you knowing you're a person you can count on? Are you knowing you're a person that tells the truth and can keep their promises to Hmm. to you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Thank you for being here. Did I wow you here at the end? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) You wowed me the whole way. Oh. (laughs) I I got to look across at you and just be like, wow, the whole time in my head. Wow. Look how pretty she is. Look at her smile. She's got the best smile in the world to me. (laughs) So. um, Yes. You wrote, always keep learning. Voice and listening is a gift. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Gratitude. I just, I love that you put this stuff down. Well, part of your 50. Oh, part of my 50. Okay. I just love it. I love it. Oh, it's okay thank to you. move on. Well, if anybody wants to hear them all, late. they are my episode 100. Yeah. And it takes about an hour, and I went through all 50 and expanded upon them just a little bit. And there were a lot more things that I learned than 50, mm-hmm. but I was excited to share those. And I had a little bit of trepidation. And sometimes it's just one person saying one thing that can make such a difference and ring in your ears. And so when you hear those things that keep you going... Not only are they important to hold on to and to use to your benefit to help you sometimes when you're feeling some fear like I was with that list, but also remember how important one sentence that you say to somebody can be. Mm. It can make such a difference because I was thinking about doing the 50 things. I said I was going to do the 50 things then somewhere. I don't know. My story, I think, on Instagram. And I had a friend, Amanda Nelson, say, hey, are you still doing that 50 things? And I thought, "Uh, yeah, I think so. I hadn't even written them at that point. And I said, yeah, I I think I'm going to do that. And she said, I can't wait for that. I can't. She's she's Mm. a a good friend. She's awesome. But she's considerably younger than me. She's probably 15, 17 years younger. And she said, I can't wait to hear that. And I thought, whoa, someone's actually, hey, someone's excited about this. You know, I huh. thought, wow, me, you know, and that's, again, me having some things and selling myself short a little bit or doubting myself. And I really kept remembering, hey, somebody wants to hear this. Maybe if there's one person, maybe maybe there's other people that want to hear it. I don't know. And so I, it gave me a little more confidence in sharing because usually my show is an interview format. And so it gave me more confidence to share something from my heart and things that I have learned and think, ah, okay. And just thank you, Amanda, because that made such a difference to me. Just one sentence that she said, one bit of expressed excitement and, and, not only that, I'm going to remember that I don't need to hold back when someone is doing something. I want to tell them, yes, it matters. And yes, I'm excited about it. And yes, do it. Because that can be the one little thing that they carry with them that helps them go a little further. Yeah. Well, I will end with this. Okay. That one of my favorite parts of you turning 50 yes. goes along with that one thing someone could say that changes your life. So I do encourage people to go listen to your episode. Thank you. But I think that's why the gift I was most excited to give you, one day it'll be an engagement ring. Um, But of your birthday, there are a few other gifts, but I really liked everyone coming together to speak life into you, to use their voice to tell you something they love, some way that you bring light into this world, into their life. 
And um, yeah, that was my favorite part. I thought it was going to be, you know, 20 something people. It might be 20 to 30 minutes, but it was well over an hour. And it was my favorite part because you were so deserving of that acknowledgement. And because your gift and your purpose is using your voice yeah. to help people find their voice yeah. to have a bunch of voices come together collectively to what tell a you cool how much thing, they, right? yeah I loved hearing mm-hmm. Sydney talk she was one of the first ones to stand up and yeah. then after that Gigi was ready to go mm-hmm. um, and some of them were really funny and some of them were so deeply meaningful um, that was that was my highlight of you yeah, turning 50 mine too it was really wonderful yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so thank you and thank you for of course helping with that and for Lifting me up and being the man that you are. And I love you so much. I'm excited to do life with you. And thank you for listening to me for two hours. I could listen to you forever. (laughs) So tell people how they can follow you. It's (laughs) Instagram. It's at real Amy Edwards. I write the show notes for this show. It's the magic babe. Yep. The magic babe on TikTok. Your website is Amy edwards.com that's right amyedwards.com and of course the most important thing is my show the amy edwards show if you can follow that like rate review subscribe share it with someone if you feel called that's that's what i really want to grow and so and also connect with me on instagram reach out anytime you can uh, dm me or whatever you want to do and reach out and tell me what you think too this show i would love to hear it it i met real amy edwards on instagram yeah and if you're approaching 50 or have already Go listen to her 50 Things She's Learned on her 100th yeah. episode. If you want to see her first episode, that one's great. If you want to see the second one, that's yeah. where we started to fall in love. <laughs> and actually, and if you go to amyedwards.info, that has links to everything, everything that we just mentioned, okay. including this show. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks, I love you, honey. babe. Thank you for being here. I love you so much. Yeah, thank you, Permanent <laughs> Record. I thank love you, you so Permanent much. Record, yes. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Grant. Thank yeah. you, team. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Alpha Brain. Or I love thank you. you, Onnit. Yeah. Thanks and just for I having me today and, and doing this. Mm-hmm. I had fun, and I, I just feel like maybe it's a way to connect with your audience a little bit more. So yeah, well, I'm really I was grateful. Yeah, excited to introduce them to you even more. Yeah, your me story, too. Your perspective and why you're so important to the show. Thanks, honey. I love you yeah. so much. Yeah, please let us know what you think of this episode. Yeah. Reach out to us on Instagram or by email, overcomepodcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If you have an overcome story, share it with us. Maybe Amy will be reading it on the show and we'll Ooh, yeah. talk about how this podcast has encouraged you or what your uh, your story is of a rising up I wish we did more of those. Yeah. I wish we did more of those. Well, let's send them in. Listeners, please do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we love that you're part of this. Please Review this. Uh, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple or leave us a comment on YouTube and share this out. And uh, we're just so grateful. We're yes. so, so grateful. You're so part of this. You make this possible. We do it for you, for us and for you. Um, and thank you for being here. My cheeks hurt from smiling. Good. I can't <laughs> wait to kiss those cheeks. All right. Thanks. That's a wrap. Hey, don't forget to send your Overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also, rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.